Well, good morning, everybody. On the back of your outline that's in your program, you'll see that there, uh, in the middle, there's a section there that says, in this week's Here and Now video clip, and it kind of highlights the two uh, different people in the organizations that they uh, serve with in our community, the way they minister in our community. So throughout the series, if you're ever looking for more information on any of the uh, videos that we see, it's on the back of your outline. And I'm, I, I just love that. I love, I wish we had time every week to, to hear from every one of you how God is using you in the place where, where he's put you, uh, especially those of you who, who uh, know that God has put you there for a purpose. And that's the series that we're in the middle of right now. We're talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus right here and right now. God chose us. He chose you and he chose me. He chose Daybreak for this particular place in central Pennsylvania and for this particular time in 2013. And he invites us to join him in his work and to be a part of uh, what God is doing every day, right where he's positioned us. And as I was getting ready to preach this week, I was thinking about this one question that just kept coming to my mind, which is uh, sort of going to be the theme of the day today. That question is this. If I disappeared from the planet today, what noticeable difference would there really be? Some of you just gave me that look like, oh, we'd miss you, Rick. That's sweet of you. But I'm really thinking of this on a deeper level. Like if I, if my, if I were to just be removed from the planet this day, uh, what noticeable difference would there be in the world because I was gone? And now, obviously, I hope my, my wife and kids would miss me. Uh, I, I would hope that they would. But, you know, my boys are old enough now that they can uh, kill spiders and open jars. So I don't know how much I, I'm really needed on the home front. But beyond that, the community around me, the world around me, the world that I, that I live and move and have my being in, um, what, would be the, what would be noticed in my absence? Would I quickly become just a distant memory, maybe memorialized somewhere in some way? And then I was thinking about this on a, on a larger level, and I was thinking about our church family and the community, and what if we, as a church family, what if daybreak suddenly disappeared? <laughs> Not just no building, but no daybreakers. What if we suddenly weren't present in this community? Think about it. Would there be something missing from this place? Would there be something missing from Mechanicsburg and the surrounding area because we weren't here anymore? What hole would be felt? What absence would there be if we weren't present? And today I want to address this challenging question, but I think this question leads us to a second question which might be equally as important, and that's what should be missing if we disappear? (laughs) Like, realistically, if we as the church or we as individuals are gone from the scene, what should be missing in people's lives and in our culture and uh, 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 in the places where God has, has put us. Why does God really have us here to begin with? This week I was reading about different ways that people talk about God's mission in the world and what's God's purpose or mission for us while we're here on this planet. One author said it this way. He said, this is the mission of God. The mission of God is to restore the creation and the life of humanity from the ravages of sin, to restore us and all of creation from the way sin has torn us apart and has caused destruction in our lives. And many of you have experienced that. Many of you are sitting here today, you stood during Amazing Grace, you say, my life is a testimony of what happens when the ravages of sin tears a person's life apart, but God puts it back together again. He restores it, and he gives it wholeness and hope and beauty again. Many of you know that, and some of you are here today, and you're just beginning on a life-changing journey with Jesus. I've met many of you who are just starting out, just beginning to learn, what could it look like if I entrusted myself to God and he began to put the pieces of my life back together the way he intended them to be? And uh, you can find wholeness and beauty that way. And I think that's a good summary of God's mission, is to take what was destroyed by sin 
in our lives that was ravaged by sin and to restore it to the way that God originally intended. So today we're going to answer this question, what happens if we as individuals or we as the church were, were removed? Uh, why does God have us here and now? And then we're also going to look at what does it look like when we join God's mission and we join God's purpose for us while we're here to rescue and redeem humanity. Um, our primary passage today comes from Matthew chapter 5, which is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to open your Bibles to that, you can. Otherwise, the verses are in your outline if you want to follow along that way or on the screens. But I encourage you to pull your outline out, follow along, and hopefully God will speak some specific things to you today that you can, can scribble down for Uh, for your own growth and your own next steps with God. Today, the focus is going to be where Jesus talks about us as as the church being two things, being both salt and light. And this is kind of ironic, but uh, last night, our student ministry had in a team of people that many of them attend our church as well, uh, Messiah students or other places, and they're known as salt and light. Uh, so I couldn't believe that, that last night the program was salt and light. Today in the service, we're talking about salt and light. God must have a message specific for us right now that he wants to get through to us this week. So how do we live as salt and light? If you open up your outlines, you can follow along. We live as salt and light when we, number one, live differently. When we live differently. And I want you to understand this because without God's influence, humanity's heart is bent towards sin. We all are. We're bent towards this self-preservation, the pursuit of of, uh, our own uh, desires, whatever they might be, pleasure, fame, power. And as a result of that, those selfish pursuits in our lives, brokenness and destruction uh, occur in, in all of our lives and in our culture today. And history records this lesson over and over again, whether it's from the Garden of Eden all the way to uh, the flood, or whether we come into modern day history and you can look back to uh, Germany and, and uh, World, War, World War II and from Nazi Germany all the way to what's happening in Syria today, where we see just this uh, self-preservation mode and people's own will and own desire uh, for, for power, for control being asserted, and destruction just happening everywhere in, on the globe because of it. But then we can bring it a little closer to home, and we can think about the destruction that happens in my life and in your life because we sin against God, because we want our own way. We want to rebel against God. We want to do what we think is going to uh, ideally bring us uh, the end outcome that we're looking for. We steer away from God. We miss the mark. We sin, and then it separates us from God, and it isolates us, and it causes destruction and brokenness in our hearts. So humanity's record isn't exactly stellar when it, when it comes to us uh, learning how to depend and trust God. We, we are self-preservationists, and, and uh, it, this is our history. But Jesus challenges his followers to live differently than the culture around them and to stand out, to live in contrast to the culture. Jesus actually indicates that we should be noticeably different as Christ followers than whatever culture we live in. And if you look at the New Testament, that's kind of part of his, his message over and over again is that we should be noticeably different. Our lives should look noticeably different than our culture. And he painted this picture in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. What does that mean for us? Well, salt had two very important functions in ancient culture, at least two very important functions. And you may want to write these down so you can understand what Jesus was trying to say. The first uh, was this, that salt preserved things. Salt was the most common of all preservatives. It kept things from going bad. 
it kept things fresh. And if you think about it, there were no refrigerators in Jesus' time. Uh, They didn't have chemicals to inject into their food to give it a longer shelf life like we do today. Uh, But salt is what kept things fresh. So if you were going to keep your food from going bad, you needed salt. And to be truthful, millions of people around the planet today still depend on salt for that very purpose in a lot of countries. That's still the way that they preserve their food. So that's the first thing. Salt preserves. The second thing is salt enhances tastes and it brings out flavor. That's what it does in food. It brings out the best in food. It it keeps things from being bland. You know, when you start to eat something and all of a sudden you're like, this just tastes bland. What do you do? You grab some salt, right? Uh, Or if you're in our family, any meat that tastes bland, doesn't matter what meat it is, we go for the A1 sauce. Uh, It's just the way I was raised. I passed it on to my boys. They put A1 on on everything uh, whenever it's bland. But that's what salt does. It it brings out taste and and flavor in things. And Jesus is saying that we are to be the preservers in our local community as salt. We're supposed to be preservers of God's goodness, preservers of God's truth. Um, We're to be people who keep things from going bad wherever we're present. We're, We're to keep things from going bad. So in our society, when we think about us as salt and having the kind of influence that Jesus is talking about, it could mean a couple things like this. Being salt where God has placed you could mean that you care about the relational environment in the place that you work or in your home or in your dorm room or in your school or in the place where God has positioned. You care about relationships in that place. You care about thinking uh, about uh, people not being hurt or wounded or, or people being affirmed and blessed. You care about that kind of thing. You're preserving God's goodness in, in those environments. It could mean that you're deeply moved in your heart for some of the hardships that happen to your neighbors or to family members around you. And then your actions show that you care because you jump in and you want to follow up and you want to be a part of them finding healing and finding hope again. Jesus says we're to be preserving, reconciling, adding taste, giving meaning where there is no meaning, giving hope where there is no hope. And as Christians, we should be the ones in our culture. As Christ followers, we should be the ones who keep our culture from going bland, okay? If people are looking for salt in our culture, they should want to be with us because that's what Jesus says. We, keep, we bring out the flavor in life as Christ followers. We have a hope that does that. I don't know if, uh, how many of you may have met Kathleen Shulkins. She actually leads a ministry in Harrisburg called Helping Hands. And it's a partner ministry of our church family. We've worked with them before. But one of the amazing things that I love about Kathleen and the person that she is, is she has this passion for feeding homeless people because she's been there. She was homeless for a time in her life. And she knows what God desires for every person who's been forgotten. So when you're on the streets with Kathleen and she's working on different things, you sense her love for people. And you're running across people who are kind of at the roughest, maybe the, maybe the bottom of the bottom. And she's giving them identity and purpose and reminding them that they have value to God as she's meeting their physical needs. And when you're with her, you just think, this woman is salt, man. She is out here bringing out the best in something that feels bland and hurting and tired, she's bringing life out of it. And it's Christ in her that does this amazing work of making life so rich and so meaningful. And just like those who you've seen on the videos this month, they're doing the same exact thing. That's what it looks like to be salt in our community, what Jesus was thinking. It's not just, it's to preserve the goodness, uh, but it's also to bring out the best. That's what salt does. It influences in that way. And that's why Jesus says that salt isn't just about doing It's also about being. It's also about who you are. He says this. He says, if the salt loses its saltiness, 
How can it be made salty? Again, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, there was this kind of ancient, uh, it's a bit of a devious practice, and it sounds like today, but this could have been what Jesus was referring to, and that's when they would sell salt, and I don't even know if they sold it in bags or blocks. I have no idea. Uh, I know there's, let's go with a biblical measurement. Let's say you were to buy an epith of salt, okay? Going, so I need an epith of salt. So you're going out for that, and you get your salt, and, and what they would do is, if the providers of the salt uh, decided that they were going to try to make a little extra money off you, instead of giving you pure salt, they would add in a lot of white sand. And so your salt would be mixed with this white sand. Well, then you would go to use the salt to preserve, and it was ineffective. It wouldn't do what it was supposed to do because it was mixed with sand. How many of you run for sand to put on your food to bring out? Like, it's not a common thing. So the salt was, was purposeless when it would be used that way. So Jesus is pointing out that we can't let ourselves be diluted by the culture. We need to be a pure salt. And uh, we have to remain salty in order to have purpose. Now, Jesus isn't saying that he's done with you if your influence is diluted, but he definitely is saying this. He's definitely saying that when we're not preserving or when we're not seasoning in our circles of influence that God has placed us in, when we're not seasoning God's grace and his truth and his goodness and his love, that we've lost our way as Christians. We've lost our purpose that God placed us in those environments. So salt preserves and it adds seasoning. But salt is, is a subtle thing. I mean, you don't even know that it's on food a lot of times, except unless you're eating fast food french fries and you can just see it caked on there. And you, most of us like it that way. But most of the time you can't even see salt. But Jesus says that we should not only be like salt, where it's almost we're having this influence behind the scenes in the way that we live and the way that we impact um, our culture. But he says that, that there's, we also need to be people who stand out. And that's the next part of this passage, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now let me stop there for just a minute because in the ancient world, there were really only two kinds of light. You either had daylight uh, or you had lamp light. And actually, this is a very interesting study. Um, if you ever get to look at it in the Bible, there were different kinds of lamps used for different purposes. Uh, the passage of Scripture that says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path was actually referring to foot lamps. And in the houses, uh, they would actually, either on the floor or just about a foot up on the wall, there would be a little ledge, and they would put lamps there so that you could see where to put your foot, where to take your next step. It lit the lower part of the room. They would do the same thing with their paths outside. Uh, that's why it says, when God's word is a lamp to my feet, it gives me enough light to know what to, to do to take my next step on a given day. But then there was also a lamp that you would carry, and they had a name for it, and I cannot remember the name of it right now, but you do that research this week. You'll, you'll discover it. But it was a lamp that they carried much like a flashlight, because when you walked in a room at that time, you couldn't just flip on a switch. There was no, if, if you walked in a room and you needed light to light the room, you needed to have your light that you could direct so you could see what you needed to see. So that was a second kind of light. And then a third kind of light, which we'll talk about in a minute, is one that was put on a stand or it was put up high. And it was meant to give light, general, a general light to the entire room. And that was a different kind of lamp that was also utilized in Scripture and talked about in Scripture. So it brought safety. These different kinds of lamps brought safety. And um, they helped people uh, who function when they were in the dark otherwise. So let's continue with this passage. You are the light of the world. A town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand 
and it gives light to everyone in the house. And I want you to notice that Jesus is also saying that this, this light that comes from Christ, it's not just for you, it's to give light to everyone in the house. So you see the theme here. Jesus is saying that people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. What purpose would there be in that? That would be completely pointless. And many of us grew up uh, singing about this. Remember? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Sing with me. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Okay, these people went to Sunday school over here. I don't know about the rest of you. Welcome to church, all the rest of you. It's a Sunday school crowd right in here. But we sang about that. We didn't have a clue what it meant. When you were growing up, how often did you hide a light under a bushel? We didn't even know what that meant. We just sang it. But this is what it means. It means why would you light something that was intended to give light to all of the room? Why would you light it and then hide the light? It would be pointless. The light had a purpose. And Jesus was saying, you as salt and light, you have a purpose in this world. He says, you want to position yourself in such a way that you shine like stars, that you give light to any environment that you might walk into. Jesus is saying, don't follow me in a way that's incognito. And in our culture, it is so tempting to live this way as Christ followers because what are the two things that we're not supposed to talk about publicly? We're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, right? That's the way our culture, that's seemingly the courteous thing to do in our culture. And Jesus is saying that kind of life as a Christ follower doesn't help anyone. It's not visible. To, when you think about living your Christianity that way, you're just taking the light that God's given you and you're hiding it. And it's not being a help or a resource to anyone else who's in the room. The Apostle Paul challenged the church in a similar way when he said this in Philippians chapter 2. He said, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. You might become children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And that's where we live. We live in a warped and a Christian and a, and a crooked and a dark generation as Christians. So then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Now, uh, two Saturday nights ago, I was invited to go uh, do a in-the-dark golf outing as a fundraiser for a local fire company. I always forget what it's called. Joe, you were there. What's that thing called? Some golf in the dark, something like that. So we started golfing around 9 o'clock. Joe, myself, a couple other guys. We golfed from 9 till midnight. And uh, now, you had a little glow stick on your golf bag, and that helped you just see enough so you could see what club you were choosing to hit the ball. And then your golf ball actually had a tiny little glow stick in it so you could see the ball. And then each pin kind of lit, and it was kind of psychedelic. They had lights on the pins that, that uh, glowed. So you only had a little bit of light. You could see your ball. You could see the direction you were going. But there was no light on your club. So I only golf once a year whether I need it or not. I know that's what most of you think we do as pastors. But anyway. So uh, I don't have much muscle memory on this, on this particular motion. Um, so this was the interesting part to me. And that's that when you would go uh, to tee off and you, ha- you could see the ball and you could see the pin but when you were in the dark, when we were in dark places on the course where it was totally dark, I, I would swing over and over again and miss the ball repeatedly. Move closer, miss. Move back, miss. Just over and over again. I just couldn't understand why I could not make connection with the ball. I have a hard enough time hitting the ball solid in the daylight, but I, I should at least be able to hit the ball. And so then finally we got to a, a hole where there was moonlight 
you, we were out in the open a little bit more. There was some moonlight. And then in addition to that, when we got near the clubhouse, there was a light on the clubhouse that just put a little bit of light on the tee box. And when I could see my club and see the ball, I could make connection with the ball. It made a total difference in the way that I played the game. But thankfully, we were playing uh, best ball that night. And so I pretty much just swung three or four times. If I couldn't hit the ball by then, I just picked up and banked on the rest of the guys on my team. Uh, But it was amazing to me because that night I realized this one thing. Just a little bit of light, just a little bit of light totally makes a difference. It totally makes a difference in how you live and and in the environment around you and what you're able to do. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, if you are the light of the world, you're invited to stand out by allowing my light, the light of Christ, to shine through you into the darkness wherever God has placed you. He's wanting you to be a light in that place. His light is going to shine you, shine through you, and it's going to help others see the truth about who God is. It's going to help them see why life isn't working for them. It's going to help them see why they're not making connection with certain things. It's going to help them see the sin in their own life and how that's destroying them and how they can make better choices so that maybe their life, as they put their trust in Christ, they're not going to um, be bound up in their own selfishness or in their bad habits or in harmful addictions or bitterness or hopelessness or relational brokenness. Just a little bit of Christ's light into a dark place brings light that illuminates and can bring hope and can bring change. My grandma lived her life this way. My mom's uh, mom was a woman who was such a, a godly woman. But when you came into her presence, when you spent time with her, you just felt like God's, you knew you were loved by God because you just felt like God's love flowed through her to you. And she would quote scripture the whole time. She was a woman who loved God with all of her heart. But I got to tell you, it wasn't the scripture quoting that impacted me, impacted me. It was the combination of the scripture quoting with her deep, deep love for me. And so I felt like I knew from the time I was a child that when I was with her, I knew God loved me. I mean, I knew she loved me, but I knew God loved me because of her. And then by the grace of God, my mom grew up seeing that and so as I grew up, I got to experience that through my mom as well. I just knew that when my mom sat and listened and she loved me, that God was loving me clearly, that there was a God who loved me because of the way that my mom loved me. And I just pray that by the, God's grace, maybe my life would be able to be one that would reflect that when, when people are with me, that they would feel God's love flowing through me, that maybe my life in some way would just able to be, be able to be salt and be able to be light and that people would experience the love of God through my life. In Matthew 5, one of the words that Jesus uses to describe this light in Greek is this word. It's a word that means radiate brilliantly. It means to radiate brilliantly. Now, I want you to think about darkness, and I was going to have them turn the lights out in here today, but we still have the window light, so it would lose effect. But if we went dark in here today, And then all of a sudden, we put on all of our stage lights, and we have some fun lights back there. They do fun stuff. Uh, Ask Kenny afterwards. He'll take you back and show you all that. But we have some really, I was going to go dark in here and then just go, and let you see what radiate brilliantly means. But I want to ask you this question. If you and I were sitting one-on-one right now, and we were talking about your life, and you were being honest, and I was being honest with you, and I asked you the question, do you feel like your life radiates brilliantly? right now. And you were just being honest with me. And I asked you, do you feel like you're salt in the environments that God has placed you in? When you're in your home 
or when you're at work or when you're in school or when you're with the people that God has given you uh, to share life with, do you feel like you're, you preserve the goodness of God in those environments, that you bring out the best in those people? Do you feel like you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world? I think most of you would answer like I would. And that's you'd take a moment, you'd be like, man, I wish I, wish I could say I was, but I don't always feel like I am. And yet, if you and I were sitting together and we were reading scripture, we were reading the New Testament together and we were looking at the life of Jesus and we looked at every person he came into contact with, this brilliant light was shown and they saw their lives for what it was and they repented and turned from whatever was tearing them apart and wanted to follow Christ and he offered them healing and hope and new life, turned situations on their head that people couldn't even think about in a different way and brought hope to the hopeless and met the needs of of those who were hurting and I bet if we looked at the life of Jesus and, and we said, can Jesus do that? Is Jesus light? Is he, was he salt? You'd say, oh, every time. He was amazing. That's why I want to be like Jesus. But somehow we miss this idea that is clearly communicated in Colossians 1.27. It's in your outline. The end of Colossians 27 says this. This is the mystery. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want you to read that, circle it, underline it, just for a minute. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery that God does. He says the living, resurrected Christ is alive inside of you. And so no matter what you feel when you're in those environments, what God calls us to do is say, open up your life to me so that through you, I can do amazing, amazing things in the environments where I've placed you. Through your person, I'm going to bring light to that very dark world that you operate in every day. And you don't have to be discouraged about it. You don't have to walk out of there every day saying, man, that is such a miserable place to be, such an awful environment. I did this little experiment with a guy, a guy that I've known for a long time. And um, we just met together last week. And he's, he's kind of at a low place again in his life. And um, he always likes to talk about those low things. And I said, Lord, would you just use me just to encourage him, and not my words, but would you speak through me to him? And so every time he was talking about something, he was like, man, I got talking about family problems that were going on. And I said, yeah, but do you remember a year ago, you weren't even talking to that family member? Like a year ago, you guys wouldn't even be in the same room together. Now you're at least together having dinner, trying to work things out. We can thank God for that, can't we? And we're like, yeah, I guess, I guess we can. And then you go on to the next kind of negative situation. And every time he had a negative situation, God just gave me through, I wasn't thinking about it. God just kept giving me hope for him. And say, do you see how God's at work? He's doing good things, even in spite of this, this situation that you're in. And all of a sudden, I realized God is using me to shine light to him. I'm, it's not any brilliant thing I came up with. God just speaking through me to bring light into this dark place for him. This is how God can transform the way that we think about these situations. Because if you and I think it's all about us, we're going to we're going to feel like we're going to fail every time at being salt and light. But if we can pray every day, God, would you open my heart? Would you open my person to letting your person, the resurrected living Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory, make a difference in someone else's world? I'm going to ask you if you bow your heads with me for just a minute. I just want to ask you, when's the last time you let Christ live through you in a way that brings his life to others around you? I want you to take a moment and just reflect on what God in you might want to accomplish through your life. Lord Jesus, would you help us 
to welcome your life in us and then to flow through us? Would you empower us to shine radiantly to others? We know that we're not the source of the light. We're just a channel that you can flow through, God, but we open up ourselves to you. Use us, God. Help us to be vessels that bring your, your influence and your brilliant light to the places that we live. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. So Jesus calls us to be salt and light, and uh, he has purpose in doing that. He wants us to be the vessels that he can use to help others discover this life change that we've experienced. But being salt and light individually doesn't answer the whole question. It's just part of it because I didn't just ask, what if I went missing? I asked, what if we went missing as a church as well? What if daybreak disappeared? And that's the second part that we're going to focus on today. We live as salt and light when we, number two, engage in God's mission. When we engage in God's mission together, we're called as a church family to do just that. Jesus puts his mission this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you underline the second half of that verse, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, glorify your Father in heaven. This is when I picture Jesus kind of pulling the disciples aside. He kind of brings them in close, and he says, I'm inviting you to be salt, and I'm inviting you to be light, and here's why. He pulls them in, and he says, do you see all those people that are sitting out there? He said, they're the ones who are still walking in darkness, guess what? The Father and I love them, and we want them to experience our love in the same way that you did, in the same way that you've experienced it and been transformed. That's our desire. So go be salt and go be light. I don't know if you realize this, but before Jesus talks about being salt and light, he actually preaches a whole sermon in Matthew chapter 5. And the salt and light part is actually the application of the part of the sermon that he's preaching. He's preaching a sermon on the Beatitudes. And then as a result of the Beatitudes, he says, so go be salt and light. That's the way that you carry this out in the world. Jesus painted a very clear picture of what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like here on this earth. He said, this is how you're going to be noticeably different in your culture. So what is the sermon about the Beatitudes about? It was Jesus encouraging us to be people who, number one, are desperate for God to rescue them and lead their lives. People who hunger for good in the world. People who are humble and people who are gentle. People who forgive and are forgiven. People who strive to live out pure lives. People who risk their own comfort for the gospel and who bring peace to others. Why does Jesus tell us to be people who are so very different? You can see it at the end of the verse. So that they the people in your sphere of influence, the people in your neighborhood, the people who you work with, the people in your family, the people who, the, who you love, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And we can't ever forget that the reason that God calls us to live salt and light is to not keep it to us, but to offer it to the world. N.T. Wright is, is a great author, and I love the way he put it in this quote. It's a little bit of a longer quote. You may want to follow along either in the screens or on your, out, on, on your outline. He says this, According to the early Christians, the church doesn't exist in order to provide a place where people can pursue their private spiritual agendas and develop their own spiritual potential. 
nor does it exist in order to provide a safe haven in which people can hide from the wicked world and ensure that they themselves arrive safely at an otherworldly destination. Private spiritual growth and ultimate salvation come rather as the byproducts of the main, central, overarching purpose for which God has called us and is calling us. This purpose is clearly stated in various places in the New Testament that through the church, God will announce to the wider world that he is indeed its wise, loving, and just creator. That through Jesus, he has defeated the powers that corrupt and enslave it and that by his spirit, he has at work to heal and to renew it. That that is the purpose of the body of Christ. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God. Glorify God. This entire series that we're talking about, uh, different ways that we can live this out in our lives, ways that we can be salt and light right here and right now where God has placed us as a church. And one practical way to do this is in your program today, and I'd ask that you pull it out. It's a little card. It looks like this. It says here and now on one side, And then on the back side, there are some very practical steps uh, for you. It's the small group challenge. And the challenge is this. We're inviting Daybreak small groups to consider partnering with a local organization or cause three to four times this next year in a very intentional way to be salt and light in our community. Now, on the back of your outline today, you'll see a list of different organizations that Daybreak has either partnered with in the past or that we still have connection with. And these are just organizations to stimulate your thinking. Just different ways that you could get thinking about how could my small group, um, or if you don't have a small group, how could my family get together three or four times and be intentional in being salt and light in our community? Maybe if um, you don't have a small group, you could just pull together with a couple uh, friends and say, hey, this year, would you do this with me? We're going to be intentional three or four times this year, and we're going to go out and serve in uh, Jesus' name. We're going to be salt and light and love our world by meeting a need. And these needs certainly, uh, these uh, organizations, that's certainly not an exhaustive list. You might come up with a need that you see right in your own neighborhood, or maybe right in your own workplace, and you just pull a few members of the body of Christ together, and you say, hey, would you partner with me to help me meet this need this year? I think if we go in here, we allow God to work through us, we can bring God's love and God's light, and we can be salt in what's a very dark, uh, bland place and God could use it for his glory in some way this year. We're just asking you to be intentional, to think about it and pray about it. We'll come back to that in just just a few moments. But I want to be clear. Why do we do good things like this? Uh, Why do we do them individually? Why do we do them as a church family? Is it because Christians are supposed to do nice things in the world? Um, Is it because we want to be responsible members of our community? Is it because the world is really messed up and we feel like it's our job to fix it? There might be truth in any one of those reasons. But I want to be clear, that is not why Jesus asks us to do these things. Not just so that we can be good people. Not just because we have to go out and fix the world on our own. (coughs) We do these things because God loves people more than anything because you're never going to lock eyes with a person who doesn't matter to God. And so God sent his son to rescue and redeem us all so that we could be restored in the right relationship with him, so that we could know the depths 
of the love of God because the Bible said that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still destroying our lives, while we were still making a mess of ourselves, while we were still in our sin, Christ died for each one of us. God did that for us. And now, because he did that for us, we know how to love. We know how to love people who are unlovable. He modeled it for us. We know how to love each other because of Jesus. You know, love makes you do crazy things, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. When you're in love, um, you would go places you don't, wouldn't normally go. You would do things that you wouldn't normally do. How many of you can think of a story of a time that you were in love and you did something for love that you would not have otherwise done? I'm not going to ask you to tell it, but you can think about it. All right. Uh, Pastor Sean is preaching over at our Good Hope Road campus this morning, and so um, he and I were talking about this a little bit this week, and And then I called him last night because I had a resource that he needed for this morning and I just wanted to let him know that it was going to be where I told him it was going to be. And so when I called him, I forgot it was his anniversary yesterday and that he and his wife were out for dinner. And so as soon as I found, he said, hey, yeah, we're out for our anniversary. And I was like, I'm so sorry, man. I just wanted you to know that resource is there. I'll get off the phone. He's like, no, 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 no. He said, the anniversary dinner is over. He said, we went to Bonefish Grill. We had a great dinner together. He said, but now I'm sitting in the bonton. <laughs> said, my wife just took about 20 dresses into the dressing room. He said, and she's only come out with one or two so far. He said, so I, I've got time. I'm good. <laughs> and I said, my brother, you just came up with the closing sermon illustration for tomorrow. You just nailed it. Because out of love, we will do things that we would never otherwise do. When true love infuses us and the love of God has a hold of our hearts, we'll do things that would not come naturally to us at any other time because they're not coming from our strength or from our power or from our source of love. They're coming from his through us. And when we learn to love that way, God gives us the power to do things that we wouldn't normally do, like say, I'm sorry. God gives us the power to do things like help someone who's in need when we wouldn't have to or when we don't think we have time. When the love of God starts to flow through us, we have an unending source of love that can make a huge impact on our world and on our circles of influence. And people see how Jesus loves them when they see how we love them, when they see God's love flowing through us to them. I want to remind you this morning that God's mission, that mission that I talked about at the beginning to rescue and redeem, that mission is a mission of love. Being salt and light, us living differently than our culture, is motivated by our love for God and then by our love for people as he helps us live out that life of love. We started with a question this morning. It was this, what if our church disappeared? Would the community notice if we disappeared. And I hope that daybreak, I hope that if daybreak, if all of us disappeared from this community, that they would notice that there's less love, that there's less serving, that there's less meeting of needs, that there's less joy, less laughter, less peace, less patience, less kindness, less goodness, less gentleness, faithfulness. I hope that they would notice that those are the things that Jesus brings through daybreak to this community. Jesus is inviting us 
each of us. He's inviting us, our church, to be a part of his mission by being salt and light right where he's placed us. Earlier, I talked about this uh, challenge, and I want to encourage you today as you think about responding. We talked about a corporate, corporate part of this message that Jesus gives to us and also about an individual part. If God spoke to you today about this in particular, and you know that there's some need that you have, are passionate about that you could pull together your small group uh, or a group of people or your family, and you could say, we're going to be intentional this year about loving, uh, being salt and light and loving this way, that might be your response today. But maybe individually this week, maybe you would want to dare to ask someone this question. Someone close to you, someone you know, maybe you'd want to ask them, how am I salt and light? How does God use me to make a difference? Or maybe how could God use me to make a difference in our dorm room, in my home, in this workplace, in my church family? Wherever God takes you and wherever you live, how could God use you to be salt and light if you just opened the door and allowed him to do that in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, I ask that you would help us to live as salt and light today. Lord, I ask that all things that flow from you, the living Christ, hope, love, joy, peace, patience, restoration, renewal. God, I pray that all of those things that flow through you would flow to and through us, to the environments that you've placed us in. Would you help us to share your good news both in words and in actions? And Jesus, as a church, would you use us to be your hands and feet in this community and in our world? Would you inspire and relentlessly keep our groups, our families, us as individuals committed to bring your light and your goodness to the places that we live and move and have our being. We love you, Lord, and it would be an honor. It would just be an honor to allow you to flow through us, that we could represent you and give glory to God. Amen, amen. I'd like you to take the next couple moments and think about your response at daybreak every week if you're new to us. We believe response, your response, quite possibly is the most important moment in the service. That if you're a hearer of God's word, but you don't respond, that you're going to walk out of here and within a few short hours have missed out on whatever it is that God spoke to you today. So however God spoke to you uniquely today, uh, we want you to respond. You can do that by writing it on your response card. Maybe you have a prayer request or something that God said to you and you want our church family to be praying with you and for you. Write it on there. Someone will pray for you. They'll follow up with you this week email you and let you know they're praying with you and pray, praying for you. Go ahead and take a few minutes and write that down if you'd like. Or maybe you are going to do this and this is your response. I'm going to lead my group to meet and eat and love and be salt and light in this world. That could be your response. Or today, every week, we offer the opportunity for you to be prayed for. This morning, we're doing that right here in this room. If any time in the next few moments you'd like to be prayed for, have someone listen to you and, and just pray for you, you can come up to either of the front corners. Someone will listen to you and, and pray for you this morning. But let's take these next few moments, respond to God, and then worship together.
Never leave.